Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks so much again for joining us and well, look, it's another mad week in rugby. It feels like we're going from one madness to another this season, but talk of strike action, the Six Nations is coming back, there's all sorts going on. So to tackle all of it, we've got a crack team as ever. Um, First, joining us is Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent of The Sunday Times. How are you, Steve? Very good. I'm very good. I saw a terrible game on Saturday, so we better not go there. Otherwise, we're going to be miserable for the whole half hour. That was Bath London Irish, was it? Yeah, it was. And uh, I have to say that Bath, it was one of those games. Think, hang on, they're not. It's not that they're off form. It's just that they're bad, and there's <laughs> just no fire there. I didn't, didn't, from the Bath point of view, I'd be very worried. Yeah, yeah. And also joining us, I haven't had JMO on for a while, Steve James. He writes about cricket and rugby, as you know, for the Times. And Steve, you must have been, I don't know, hardly going to bed at the moment with England playing cricket in New Zealand, watching them all night and then filing on Welsh chaos in rugby when you're in thanks, up yeah. in this time of day. Yeah, hi, well, hi, Jonesy. Yeah, uh, thanks. They, they've let me off the cricket beat for, for a bit. But um, yeah, just uh, coming fresh from the picket line outside the... Uh, Principality Stadiums, <laughs> plenty going on. Is there some sort of basball revolution that we could see with? Was it Borthball? I don't know. It doesn't really work that, <laughs> does it? it? Hasn't happened so far, has it? No, I liked. Um, I don't know if you saw. Did you see Warren Gatland's comment about England? Just, yeah, just slipped it in saying o- o- Ollie Lawrence is playing Warren Ball. So, <laughs> uh, very quite, good. Quite, quite nice. Well, right. I think you should. We should also mention um, there are younger. Uh, we have younger viewers who don't know the fame of our of our other guest. Um, because, you tell him, Jonesy. Go on. Well, well, you can, you can. You, I'll ask you the question. <clears throat> when Glamorgan played at Colwyn Bay in two thousand, they had they got reached seven hundred and eighteen for three. I can't believe you looked this up, Jonesy. <laughs> no, I, I just got it in my head. <laughs> One person got a triple century of three hundred and nine in an opening partnership of three hundred and seventy-four for no wicket. Name that person well. Oh well, it's. I'll give you a clue. He's in the studio, but yes, yeah, Alfie the producer. It's not Alfie the producer, yeah. Matthew Elliott, don't you? But you know, um, my my record was beaten twice last season. Yeah, uh, there's only one. Sam Northeast and David Lloyd both. So I've I've gone from first to third in a couple of weeks. 
I've actually yeah, found the scorecard. You were the Pathfinder, mate. You were the Pathfinder. And Jamie. we'll ask you one other question, okay? <laughs> okay. In the total of 718 for three, yeah. what was the oddity which happened at the toss? Oh, yeah, Sussex stuck us in. Chris Adams, yeah. yeah. Oh, Chris Adams God. put the Morgan in. Yeah, wow. hell, of, hell of a decision. Three hundred seventy-four okay. for no wicket. He said, "Actually, I wish I hadn't done this." Now, <laughs> Jamo, you—I'm not sure you're very basball with your strike rate. I'm just looking yeah, at terrible. the uh, no, looking at the scorecard. Sixty-two. Your strike rate was four hundred ninety-one balls. That's a hell of a sixty-two. Effort. I'm actually surprised. That's quite high. I thought it'd be a lot lower than that. <laughs> certainly no sixes. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. It literally says on the scorecard forty-one fours though, zero sixes. Short oh, boundaries. Yeah, right. So that's our crack panel for this week. And there's all sorts going on, as we mentioned at the top, threats of strikes and all sorts. But what we'll do, we'll preview the next round of the Six Nations, hoping that all of it goes ahead. Italy hosts Ireland, Scotland travel to play France. And of course, Wales against England takes place or does it in Cardiff? Um, There's a doubt over that fixture due to the player strike threat in Wales. So we'll get into that with former Wales international Tom Shanklin. And we'll name our god or goddess of the week at the end. But Before we speak to Tom, let's add a bit of context to what's happening. So, for the whole of this season, pretty much, the players and the Welsh Rugby Union have been in dispute about a new term agreement for contracts in Wales from next season. The players have set the union a deadline of this Wednesday, so only a matter of days before the, the England game, to solve three key things that they're not happy about about these contracts. The first one is they want them to scrap the 60-cap rule, which denies players the chance to play for Wales if they're abroad and don't have that many caps. They want them to remove the proposed contractual structure where only 80% of salaries would be guaranteed with 20% unlocked by performance-related bonuses. And we've been talking to players this week and they think that that's pretty much unrealistic. And they also want to guarantee a seat at the Professional Rugby Board negotiating table for the Welsh Players Association. And a couple of those may get solved, but the key one is they're still stuck on this thing about the bonuses in their contracts. So at the moment, we're at an impasse. There's a threat of a strike and the players are serious about it. They're going to train on Monday and Tuesday at the Vale of Glamorgan, where they usually train. And then on Wednesday, they have a day off. They're going to have meetings and they may decide to strike. So chaos is the is the summary of that. And to try and pick through all of it, we're going to speak to Tom Shanklin next on The Wrap. So next on the right, we're delighted to be joined by Tom Shanklin, 70 caps to Wales, man of Sarries, Cardiff, all sorts else. Tom, how are you? Nice to have an, another normal week in Welsh rugby, isn't it? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We're, no one's really sure what's going to happen this week. Is the game going to go ahead or not? It'd be a travesty if it didn't. The biggest game on the rugby calendar. I'd, I'd be devastated if it didn't go ahead. My fingers are crossed this week that you know agreements can be made. And we can see Wales v England on Saturday. What do you make of it all? Are you just, as a former Wales player, just kind of shaking your head and a bit embarrassed about it all, really? I am in terms of what's going on with the union and how we've not come to an agreement. And it's taken this amount of time. and It's taken strike action to get there. I mean, all teams have, a lot of teams have had strikes before. We had one in 2002, but this was purely over the amount of pay we were getting. This time, it's completely different. It's not money-related, this one. It's not what the players do. And that is something, you know, that we'll have to come to accept, I think, that there'll be lower funding for players and lower wages. But it's the actual fact of players not knowing where they're going to be next year. You know, contracts that should have been sorted out prior to Christmas. You know, players are still left in limbo as to 
if a club's going to want them or not um, and where they can go because most of business in rugby is done really before Christmas. What are you hearing from the guys around Wales and Cardiff and all that at the moment? It must just be a nightmare situation where they're left as the meat in the sandwich as ever the players, aren't they? Yeah, it is. Um, lots and lots of uncertainty and it's it's across the board. It's the players that know they've got contracts next year have still got sympathy for the ones that haven't or haven't been signed up yet. So it is a massive joint effort from all the players to to produce this strike and to go ahead and maybe to go ahead with it because you can't be in this situation. It is embarrassing. We look completely amateur, which partly we are, you know, when you look at how Welsh rugby's run, that players don't know what they're doing next year. And that's that's the main part of it. There's going to be happening, there's going to be an acceptance that players will earn less. Um, I think that they're aware of that. But to not know what you're doing with all the uncertainty with family, with kids, Hampton, you know, are you going to have to leave Wales? You're going to have to find work elsewhere. All of these things going through players' minds is is absolutely appalling to be at this stage now in February where things haven't been sorted. Yeah, and you would sympathise with the players or empathise maybe if you were in a similar situation yourself 20-odd years ago that you've got to use the opportunity of a marquee fixture against England to make your point. And it's it's amazing that it's come to this, hasn't it? That they have to almost um, leverage the England game to get some sort of conversations about these sort of things. It is. Um, it's a massive amount of unity shown by the players. And I'm not sure how relationships are going to be, um, how relationships are going to go forward after this, you know, with uh, the lack of respect that players have seen from the union and how that is going to affect Welsh rugby after, because we've got to a nightmare stage, really, where they're having to strike against Wales England. And it's it's not just the union which is, is set to lose out. And that's a, that's ultimately what the players are, are going after. They're going after to hurt the union. But it's the everyday people that have worked all year to buy tickets to go to this game. It's it's the pubs, the restaurants, the shop, all these other people that it affects. Hotels, you know, they've gone through massive amount of, of, of losses really due to COVID. And this is, this is the weekend where it is the busiest weekend by far, the best weekend by far. And it's affecting all of those outside the union as well. So... But they have to get it sorted. But the longer we go on, the less positive news we're hearing. You know, it's Monday today. We're still not hearing any good news or any positive news coming out of of both camps. So just to sort of tick off the admin of it, I suppose, to update our listeners, um, the players have essentially set a deadline of Wednesday to sort three main things, haven't they? The minimum standards that they want to get rid of in these proposed deals. One of them is to scrap the 60-cap rule, which denies players a chance to play for Wales if they've got fewer than that and play abroad. They want to see the Professional Rugby Board negotiating table for the Welsh Rugby Players Association. And then the third one is that they want to remove this sort of 80-20 split of contracts where 80% of their deals are guaranteed and 20% are unlocked by bonuses. And it was interesting, last night on BBC Scrum 5, Anthony Wall, the PRB chair, was saying that the 60-cap thing and the seat on the table... There's progress on that, but they're really keen to stick on this contractual situation. I'm just thinking on that one, Shanks, that's a tough one for players, isn't it? To be told you're going to have to pay less, squads are going to be smaller, but also you can unlock more pay if you win loads of matches. And then they say, well, how are we going to do that with reduced squads and all that? What, what do you make of that one particularly? Exactly that. You're asking teams to probably take two to two and a half million less than last season and they still want them to be competitive. They're not competitive at the moment, if you look at the URC table. I, I don't understand what the vision is for Welsh rugby as a whole. I think previously, for the last 10 years, we've 
we focused purely on Team Wales and the regions have just been able to produce players to play for Wales. That's it. There's been no real talk about getting the regions competitive, even less so now if they're going to take two, two and a half million pound less. Squads are going to be tighter. And what what is the vision for domestic rugby in Wales? Because year on year, the four Welsh teams in Wales aren't competitive enough. So what, what is the vision for them? Do they want domestic rugby in Wales to be competitive? Because it doesn't seem like they do at the moment, especially with the deal that's on the table. I mean, the deal that's on the table is, is going to allow the four teams to live and fight another day, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be sustainable and it's not going to be enough for, for teams to be competitive in the league. We'll just be down the bottom every year, which, which we have been recently. And, and now we're asking to, they're asking the four Welsh teams to, to be competitive. And 20% of this new fee is, is on bonuses with, Two to a half million pound less. So I just, I just don't understand it. Can I just ask? Um, yep. One of the, one of the, one of the uh, solutions has been proposed is that look, instead of having four, four teams, they'll have three teams, and then each team gets more, gets more of the, of the sort of split. But isn't that a real cop out? Because surely Wales should be able to keep four teams going, and just to cut it down to three, doesn't that just, isn't that just as big an indication? Of the decline and the and the terrible situation, that the the then you know isn't that just a symptom of the decline? Wanted to chop them with the money that's being put on the table, it doesn't work with four. I don't think so. Therefore, you have to look at three or two teams. But how do you go about that? Is another question. That, that as much as you you think two or three teams is is the way forward with the money going with the money on the table, I, I don't know how they're going to get there. That is one option. The other option is for the teams to, to carry on as they are with less funding. Or there has to be another option of the WIU looking at refunding, uh, refinancing the regions and, and trying to find more money somehow. Otherwise, Welsh rugby is just going to be on a downhill spiral. I don't know how it's going to recover. I don't know how they're going to function with two and a, two and a half million pounds less. Tom, the other one I wanted to ask you about is one that Steve James wrote about in the paper um, in the Monday's Times. That it looks like the 60-cap rule is probably going to get scrapped or at least changed. What would you like to see there instead or how would you change it? Because the, the benefits of players playing abroad uh, are multiple, aren't they? I think had we not had this huge issue now with funding, I, I actually thought the, the cap rule was good for Wales. Um, I think 60 was too much, but I think... Players are looked after better. I want to see the best players playing in Wales to make the league better. I know you only get a certain amount of access to them, but I, I was all for that cap rule. I think it is too high, but with what's being put on the table now, I don't think there should be a 60 cap rule now. Players will be taking a lot less money. There's also a, a lack of supply, I think, for talent coming through. You know, there's there's not enough players being competitive in the four teams, so that then drives up the price of players because the demand is higher. So we've got to a stage now where we're we're hugely overpaying a lot of players in a league, and, and now it's come undone. And this is a, this only happens, and it's been talked about for a long time. It's been talked about that as soon as Team Wales stop performing, we're going to see where all the cracks are in yeah. Welsh rugby. And the Welsh team isn't performing um, since Gatlin left. Really, I know they won a championship in 2021, I think it was, but. I think the signs were there early that the, this group of players that we've had for 10, 12 years are coming to the end and who's going to take this team forward. And now the cracks are emerging and now we realise what a state we are in. Does that just make you feel quite sad saying that as someone who's 
proud Welshman who played a lot, won a lot for your country. Yeah, it is. Where's the vision? Where's the vision been? Surely there was a vision after um, this group of players. You know, I'm talking about your, your Biggers, your Tipperick's, your Falatows, your Halfpennies, your Liam Williams, George Norse, all these players. Where, where's the vision after that? What was the vision with domestic uh, rugby in Wales? Do, do they want to succeed? Do they want to be competitive? Do they want to make top eight? Do they want to make quarterfinals, semifinals of the Heineken Cup? This is, this is just simple stuff that there should be there should have been a strategy in place. I, I do not know what is the strategy of Welsh rugby in Wales. Yeah. I cannot tell you what it is. Just um, Josh Turnbull was on um, Scrum 5 last night, obviously the, the Cardiff captain, and he, he actually asked that specific question, Shanks, to, to Malcolm Wall. You know, what, yeah. is, what is the vision? And basically, Wall didn't really have an answer. He, he just said there was going to be a couple of years of pain and he, he stressed the fact that uh, the WIU thought that the, the regions need to, needed to be better commercially. And then if they did that, then they might be able to move on from there. So basically, he was saying that, the, you know, the next couple of years is going to be going to be pretty poor for the regions. Yeah. So drive more money commercially into the game. But how are you going to do that on yeah. the amount of exactly. money that's being put on the table? So, yeah, that did make sense to me, that, that answer. You want the teams to drive more revenue through commercially. But the only way to do that is by teams that are winning and, and producing quality rugby on the field. And there are certain games that are brilliant. And we watch them. I, I watched the Scarlets on Saturday. And it was a brilliant game. And they were excellent. And But you, you need that every year. You know, for the first nine games of the season so far, they've been nowhere near that standard. And now they've found a bit of form and a bit of momentum. But Shanks, what, doesn't what, it come down to just... Basically, it's a lack of trust on both sides. So the WIU don't want to give the regions more money because they don't trust them to to use it wisely, and the regions don't trust the WIU because they think that they they should use their money more wisely and be able to give give the regions more money. Is that that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's fair. A lot of bad press is, is coming for the union at the moment. The regions also have to take some responsibility for signing and, and for what they've done with the money. Like, do you guys know how we get out of this? Does, does anyone know how, how we get out of this situation where the, the trust becomes uh, trust comes back? Because at the moment, I don't see any way forward. I, for me, relationships just seem completely broken. I don't, I don't know how you get that back. I would think the fundamental thing with all of this is, I think there's a, probably a reality, like speaking to players over the last week or so, as you said earlier, Shanks, that they, they realise that they might need to take some pay cuts. But when you're not consulted and when you're not brought along the journey and when you're not told about these things and you're promised things and they don't happen, if you're not going to bring the players along with you on the journey, then you're always going to be in this situation. If there's a if there's a bit of pill to swallow, you've got to man up and talk about it, haven't you, early? Yeah. How do we move on from here? The first thing that needs to happen is contracts need to be signed or players need to know what they're doing next mm. year. Um, I think then as long as... This is an open discussion on on players' wages. Um, there's not going to be they're not going to be paid now by the union, the eighty twenty split. I think they're going to be paid by the, the teams. So then the values I think you know won't be so high from from the union. So that that as I said, has not going to affect for for players' wages below. And players are going to have to get their heads around that they are going to these glory days, these golden days of of being paid lots of money. We'll have to go, yeah. And then it's it's down to them as as to where they go, and that's why I don't think we can have a sixty cap rule anymore. I mean, my my big worry is that I think the game will go ahead. I think they'll come to some sort of compromise by by Wednesday. But the sixty cap rule 
will go. The, these contracts will be signed. I think there'll be a mass exodus of players from Wales, and then you'll have four regions on on probably not enough money, and things will just slide further down. And and ultimately, the bigger issues w- won't have been addressed, and we'll probably be talking about this again in another year or or two. I'd be interested in your views on that, show. Yeah, I think if we if we are paying competitive money to other teams, then I think we can have the sixty cap rule. Not even sixty cap. I think it should be thirty cap rule, and I think it, there should be a level of games you've played for your club included in that. But with the money we're talking about, with the financing now of the, of the teams having you know two million pound less, I don't think we can have competitive wages really anymore. And then it's down to the individual as to as to what they want to do. It, it is a great shame because I've always been a massive believer in that we want our best players playing in Wales because we want to grow the game in Wales and we want we want kids to have something to look up to. We want to see them. We want to see their faces when they they meet their stars after club games and not just watching them internationally. But I don't think you can do it with the massive price drop that we're going to get in salaries. I mean, I don't think it's fair. The flip side of all this is if there is a strike and the game doesn't go ahead and the WIU lose up up to 10 million, that's the end of it, isn't it? The regions will just go into administration. Maybe that's what they want. And this, yeah, this may be that this might be the case, Steve, as, as to why they've been holding back and why they haven't negotiated because they're waiting for one or two regions to go into administration and then they can start again and we can start with two teams um, because the finance model at the moment, which they're given, only really works for, for two, maybe three teams. It, the funding they're given does not really work for four. Going back to your thing about the, the union paying eighty percent of wages, I mean that's that's a massive problem for the regions because if you take Cardiff, who got Liam Williams and Toby Fallatow back back to Wales on big salaries, assuming yeah. that the union was going to pay eighty percent, and then suddenly next season they won't be paying that eighty percent, so that's just yeah. taking a massive chunk out of their budget. If Cardiff go on their current budget, I think they're looking at they've got about four hundred grand left to to pay 15 players for next season, I think. So <laughs> you do the maths there. They're not going to be very good players or they're going to have to cut the squad. Yeah, they will have to cut the squad. All the squads will have to be cut. I mean, the, the NS38, the money that the WRU was paying these players will be factored in and is factored in to the new yeah. funding model. But it was such a, it was such a nice thing to have, wasn't it? You know, you, you get Liam Williams, you get, for instance, in Cardiff now, Tlupe Falatau back and you've only got to pay them 20%. Yeah. You know, and you and you get these players coming to your, your club. But then also, I think the NS38 was detrimental to the, the, the reasons why why we are where we are, because yeah. players were just overpaid um, and it drove wages up all the way through Welsh rugby. Tom, just to wrap it up, because we better let you go back to your, your day job in a second. Two-parter, I suppose. Firstly, do you expect this to get solved and they they will play the game? Do you think they'll hit that deadline on Wednesday? And then the second part of it is, if you're putting yourself back into your playing shoes, how on earth do you play a game after a fortnight like this? I really hope it is resolved. Relationships will be broken for a long time. The WRU are waiting for a new um, CEO to come in. I know Nigel Walker's doing it at the moment, and, and that might help. But I don't know how long it's going to take to recover from this for all parties for the PRB, for the regions, for the players, for the Welsh Rugby Union. This is the worst that I've seen it. I think it's the worst it's been. Um, what was the second part of your question? How on earth do you play a game if it gets to it? Lace your yeah. boots up it, for a union you've been fighting with for months. You've got to put that to the back of your mind as best you can. And it will have an effect on players because you'll be constantly thinking about it. As best you can, you're a professional athlete, you have to put it to the back of your mind. 
but it would just be lingering there non-stop. So I have a huge amount of sympathy with the players at the moment you go at the moment with what they're going through. All right, Tom, well, we better leave it there and let's hope, fingers crossed, that something gets solved in the next few weeks. It might not be for for a long time, but that game needs to happen, doesn't it? So let's hope we yeah. all can see it and watch it and be there. Pick the bones out of that conversation, lad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well spoken, Shanks. Well good. Well yeah. Right, fascinating stuff there to hear from Tom Shanklin, passionate as ever about the game in Wales, as both of you guys are. Steve Jones has been covering this for decades. Steve James, you've lived in Wales after your cricket days, haven't you? I mean, it's a sad old situation. I'll start with you, Jonesy, first. What on earth is okay. going on here? Like, How do we get a resolution out of this? Well, I don't know about the resolution. It's been coming. People think that a lot of people, maybe some of the younger fans, think this is this has just happened. It just raised its head. It raised its head when the Welsh rugby completely failed to develop a proper structure for the game. Not two, three, or five years ago, but over twenty years ago. And it's until very, very recently that the the the, 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 the players and even the Welsh team had no control at all. That one of one of one of the um, bones of contention here is that the 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 players union welsh rugby players association uh, are trying to get one person on the professional rugby board one person i mean the professional rugby board is a quango anyway but to, to be fighting now 27 years after the game went pro to get one player in the position of power, just shows you how ridiculous it is. I mean, Steve, that's that, that's been agreed, isn't it? That, that Malcolm Wall announced that last night that um, Gareth Lewis, the chief executive of the WRPA, is is going to be at the meeting this Wednesday and all, all for further meetings from now on. So at least yeah, that's I mean, one it, thing's been sorted. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one thing and it's one player. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you, there's arguably you should if if there's a if the play if there's twelve people on it, it should be six players. Four people from the regions and two old goats from the Welsh Rugby Union. So um, you know it, it, it is terrible, and you could tell Tom Shanklin's very professional, very uh, passionate man, and the, the grim tones that Shanks was using then, because he's also very ebullient, just indicate that there's trouble. And I didn't get the impression from from Tom that he was 100 percent certain the game would go ahead. So yeah. you know it's grim, grim, grim. Jamo, you've been covering this closely for us in the last week or so. You said earlier your, your sense is that you probably think the game will happen, but I suppose it depends which players you speak to and who, who's around it, don't you? There's some more militant than others, but do you, what do you expect is the kind of, I don't know, summary of this mad week? Yeah, I mean, as, as I said earlier, I, I think the game will go ahead. Um, I think they'll come to some sort of compromise. But uh, as I said, my, my big worry is it probably won't solve everything. You know, they'll get those demands, they'll have a voice on the PRB, the 60-cap rule will be abolished, and there'll be some I don't know, some compromise on those contracts. I mean, Malcolm Wall last night seemed pretty adamant that they wanted to keep that bonus element. They, they may reduce that and sort of meet, meet halfway. But, you know, the, the bigger issues are still going to be there. I know Jonesy said earlier that, you know, it's a sad indictment if they have to reduce the number of teams, but it looks fairly obvious that Wales can't sustain four teams going forward. How you reduce that number of teams, I've I've no idea. But you know, has has regional rugby worked? Um, the answer is probably no. They're still getting pitiful crowds, aren't they? Except for the except for the derbies. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Some way of just having sort of two teams east east and west, and and pumping up the the club's structure below the the Premiership. You know, getting those old clubs back. You know, and mm. having two sort of East and West teams almost as representative teams. Do yeah. you need a team in the URC? Could they just turn out in Europe? 
that's basically what Ireland do, isn't it? They just <laughs> they only turn their best teams out in in Europe, don't they? But yeah, it, it just it, this compromise won't work because they'll, they'll abolish the sixty cap rule. Loads of players will go. The reasons will just get worse and worse on this uh, on this reduced uh, salary cap. Yeah, right. Well, we'll leave it there, lads. But there's going to be plenty more for our listeners and our, for our readers over the next week or so. We'll keep you as updated as we can on the ins and outs and strikes or no strikes over the next week or so. But for now, why do we park that and let's assume that all the games are happening and chat about a bit of rugby. So next on the Warak, we'll talk about the next round of the Six Nations. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, lads, strong words all about the strikes and everything else there, but let's... For now, it's Monday when we're recording this. Assume that the game does happen. And actually, as and when we get there on Saturday, it's going to be a fascinating match, isn't it? I mean, England have lost to Scotland and beaten Italy fairly unconvincingly. And Wales have had a, a shocker and lost the first two. So, Steve Jones, if we finally get there, what on earth is going to happen in Cardiff? Well, first of all, um, we're trying to be upbeat here, but there's no way that it's not going to affect the Welsh team. I mean, actually, it's, it's so big. I'm not sure it's not, not going to affect the English team as well, but... Uh, and look, the interesting thing is, providing Wales show up and uh, and are reasonably competitive, uh, Cannington make a step forward. I thought they made baby steps forward after their uh, defeat against Scotland to the to, to it into Italy. But um, if Wales are competitive, they, they, England can have to improve quite markedly, I think, because they still still got so much ground to cover. I still I'm still not putting the question mark against Steve Borthwick. At the moment, he is still digging. Uh, deep from the, the 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 mud left behind by the idiot Eddie Jones, and um, it, 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 you know he's he's still fighting fires and and all the things they can, dealing with all the things that they can't do, which after Eddie was a hell of a lot. So I think that uh, be interesting that um, Ollie Lawrence has suddenly become from a guy who's been on the fringes for so long, he's suddenly become like the key player. 
but he's the guy that enables them at last to play Farrell at 10 where he should be and where he should always have been. Uh, Oli Lawrence outside, possibly with Henry Slade. And, and, and that is a much more promising midfield. I, I know for a fact that Steve Borthwick is a massive fan of George Ford, who I think could well make it into the squad. Uh, and give them another option. So that's from the England point of view is is quite is quite warming. Yeah. So just to cover off some of the admin of ins and outs because England updated their squad on Sunday night. Um, Tom Curry's back. He played for Sale on the weekend and played very well. He replaces twin Ben, which means that Ben Curry's gone from being selected to start against Scotland, dropped the next week, and now out of the squad and replaced by his twin, which is not the best for him, is it? Um, Courtney Laws has returned. To, Timely return to fitness for him and Johnny Hill drops out. So perhaps they're looking at Courtney Laws as a lock there if they've swapped him out for Johnny Hill. Um, and then, yes, Steve, as you mentioned, George Ford back in immediately, buoyed by his chat with the Times last week <laughs> for the Saturday edition. He's come in for Finn Smith. So now they've got Marcus Smith, George Ford and Owen Farrell all in the squad. And then there's going to have to be a change to the starting team because Ollie Hassel-Collins has a knee injury picked up in training. So Caden Murley's come back into the squad. And at sale, Manu Tuolangi, well, at Northampton game, he was red-carded for an elbow to the face of Tommy Freeman. Um, so he's probably going to be banned for a number of weeks. So Fraser Dingwall's come in to replace him. So not all of them will get in the team, but the George Ford one's fascinating, isn't it, Steve James? It's how they go from there. I mean, the, the years that you covered England regularly with Stuart Lancaster, that was the that was a sort of key partnership, wasn't it, Ford and Farrell? Yeah, it was the key partnership, but it was part of the problem as well as as it is now. And, and Stuart Lancaster probably didn't make make solid enough decisions on that. I'm with Jones here. I mean, I I think Farrell is, is England's number ten, and he should have been for for a long time. You know, I'd I'd go with Farrell, Lawrence, and Slade as a as a World Cup World Cup midfield, and then it's whether you have Smith or, or Ford on the bench. I would imagine that there'll be fairly minimal changes to the team. Um, Tom Curry might come into it, and that see how they go with Jack Willis having played so well last week and Ollie Hassel Collins will need replacing and that could be that Anthony Watson comes back into the in the match day team and Arundel stays on the bench which is possibly his most impactful position at the moment um but I just think this is a fascinating game I mean if we get there and, and Wales go zero from three and they're staring down the barrel of a wooden spoon that's a, a shocking situation to add to everything else that's going on off the field and if England then lose and they're staring down the barrel of coming fifth or sixth themselves, aren't they? So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real be, nightmare game. It'll be fascinating to see which which team Gatland picks. Um, yeah, he's actually going to announce it early tomorrow. I'm not sure whether they're allowed to say that, but he is. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that is. I don't know whether he wants to pick their team before they go on strike or <laughs> not. But um, I mean, actually, I mean, Wales have had a shock in those first two games. But uh, you know, I don't want to sound cliched and like every uh, every head coach, but Actually, thought there was some there were some positives from those games. I mean, obviously, look at that Scotland game and the two youngsters did really well. David Jenkins and Chris Chunza. Um, mm. Or Tommy Rafael had a had a really good game. I think there's a stat out there that Wales have got into opposition 22 more times than any other team in this tournament so far, and they've also had fewer entries into their own 22 this yeah this competition. So, I mean, that suggests there's some decent stuff being being done. But yeah, also, yeah. I mean, they're obviously not converting those. Those chances and some of their defences, obviously not great. But you know they 
they've got a new coaching team there. They Mike Forshaw's coming in, Alex King's coming in in terms of attack. But but does Gatlin now, having gone with a couple of youngsters in that last game in the forwards, does he go with a couple of youngsters in the in the back line? It's an interesting scenario for Gatlin because always when he was here last time, the Six Nations was the tournament, so mm. he wouldn't experiment hardly at all. I mean, in 2019, he put out a, a second team against Italy, but apart from that, he was always looking to to win the Six Nations games, and he would experiment during the summer and uh, and the autumn. But he's he's finding himself having to experiment a bit now because he's come back in and he's not sure about some of these players. He gave the older guys a go in the in the first game, and obviously some of them you know didn't didn't look up to it. But does, does he go back to some of those older players now? You know, does Alan, Alan Wynn come back in? I definitely think he'll go back to to Falatau at number eight. But does he stick with bigger George North, Liam Williams, those sort of players? It'll be fascinating to see which way he goes, I reckon. Yeah, it's it's one of those, isn't it, where you think, particularly with the he can't ignore this the week that they've had. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether picking a sort of more gnarled, experienced 15. I think most of the the better, more experienced players in that squad are out of contract. So yeah. does it actually affect them personally? And then they might have less uncertainty and then be sort of freer to play, I suppose. Whereas if you burden these guys who are younger or have had a hell of a week and their wives, girlfriends, partners, mums and dads are asking them what the hell's going on all week and then they suddenly got to turn their head onto a game, I would imagine, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with the team, but it might be better to pick the experienced lads. But why don't we move on to France-Scotland lads? Because that seems to be whatever we think about Wales-England. That's that's the marquee fixture of the weekend, isn't it, Jonesy? Yeah, of course it is. And um, uh, marquee fixture, like, what is it, uh, say two months ago, we would have said it's not even worth uh, Scotland turning up. Now, uh, the way they the way they played, genuinely played well, and um, some of the weaknesses obliterated. Finn Russell in vintage form. And I'm not going to say we can, we can start thinking about a massive upset, because I think France will have to react after losing to Ireland. But I do, I do think it would be a very competitive international I don't think France will run away with it. I think it might win by about 10 points or something like that. But it's going to be fascinating. If Scotland go three from three, that's an amazing tournament for them. They've basically never done that. Well, certainly not in the Six Nations. Um, I'm not sure Scotland will be able to cope physically with uh, with France in that game. I think you can yeah. still get it, get it for Scotland physically. I mean, look at the yeah, first half of that Wales game. I mean, Wales were all over them in that first half. They had about mm. 75% territory and possession. Yeah. I, I, I still worry about... Scotland when it when it gets really physical. Is that the France play. factor as well? Because the, the Scotland did beat France in Paris last time, but that was no crowd COVID game, wasn't it? It was the overhang one that had got moved from early in the tournament. So that's another historical thing that Scotland could tick off this weekend, but it's going to be a hell of a tough thing to do, isn't it? France by plenty, I reckon. Yeah, do you think so? So I, yeah. I've done some pre tournament predictions um which have all looked absolutely ridiculous because um, <laughs> i think i had scotland losing every game which is just yeah who, where do the times get these people from eh but i think i had france 30 scotland 15 was mine what jonesy what do you reckon for that one what well, uh, i think i think margin of um i sort of slightly swayed for what uh, jamo said then i think i think france will win pro- probably by at, at least two converted tr- converted tries Okay. But, uh, well, don't worry about predictions. Everyone takes the piss out of us when uh, the game is already over. Then they came up. They come up with their post-match prediction, which is easy because they already know the result. <laughs> so 
um, keep on going with the predict with the predictions. Yeah. Or, or, only I, only only Jamo and I can get them all right. But you've got to keep on going. All, all I'm saying is I predict I predicted a draw the last Lions Test 2017 in uh, in New Zealand. <laughs> All uh, right. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm still dining out on that one. Yeah, I was going to say, is that up there with your 309 not out? Jamie? Yeah, yeah, def- definitely one of my uh, life highlights. <laughs> right, so actually the first game of the weekend, lads, is probably the least interesting one, just because Ireland played so well, ridiculously well against France, didn't they? And, and Italy maybe didn't turn up as we might have expected them to at Twickenham last time out. So could that be a bit of a, a, bit of a big victory for Ireland there, Jonesy, do you think? All in the hands of um, of, of uh, Crowley and and in the hearts and minds of the Italians because um, they've got a there was great optimism part which has been partly justified well about the Italian improvement but if they should go down to a fifty or sixty suddenly that's gone back into reverse so I think they have got to give it the kitchen sink give it everything go for it get some devil up front. Don't cop the the Irish, you know, sledging and all that sort of stuff, and do, really rock it, rock it in there. Try and get a couple of tries and and try and make it really tight. I, I do fear if if Ireland score twice early on, we could be back in the realms of Italy losing by fifty. I yeah. hope and pray that they're competitive. Yeah, they they just need to play like they did against France. Don't they? they, I mean, they just threw caution to the wind from the from the start. You know, made, made real sort of statements of intent that that was how they're going to play. They they were massively disappointed against England, I thought, but I think England played them quite cleverly, didn't they? You know, really slowed the game down early on and, and starved them a ball. So Ireland might look at that. Jonesy, uh, Ireland, they the one after this, after another break, is Scotland away, which looks like everyone who wants to win a Grand Slam has to have a tricky one at one point. That looks like the tricky one. Do you do you feel like at this point they look like Slam contenders? Yes, they do. Of course, they do. Um, uh, but. but um... Again, as I said about Italy, Scotland could find Scotland could make this their best season for twenty years if they can um, stuff it up Ireland in in that game and and stop all the Irish um, uh, aspirations. So you know that, that there are some colossal games left, and it's been we've been downbeat about Saturday's game at uh, Cardiff, but it's been an excellent Six Nations for controversy, class, and etc. So. You know, Scotland can get some ball and Finn Russell can get them going. Uh, there's just a chance there. So that, that is that is a seminal game for Gregor Townsend's coaching career, let alone for Ireland. I just love everything about Irish rugby, the, you know, the, the whole setup. You know, you look at, um, you watch Ireland under-20s play and they play exactly in the same way as the... As a senior side, there's there's so much alignment, you know, from from school rugby all the way up to the top. Um, yeah. I thought one of the most significant things last weekend was how well Ross Byrne did when he when he came on at ten, because you know we spent ages saying Ireland would be okay as long as Sexton's fit, and you know that has been the case um, in, in truth. But he he looked good, so you know that may not be the case as well. They they just look so strong, don't they? That's, Absolutely. That, do you know what they they panic about Sexton? And I think Sexton always uh, plays up to it by going down and hobbling. <laughs> on then they, oh, will he be fit? He may, could be fit. Oh, he's on the verge. He's doing the fitness. <laughs> Actually, with Ross Byrne, he, as you said, he yeah. came on and absolutely bossed it. Yeah. So you know that that is, as Steve says, probably one of the weakest links sorted. And and again, I, Steve, I saw the Ireland under twenties last weekend, and then you got Leinster playing in exactly the same yeah. way. It's all joined up. It's yeah, all it's established. And uh, 
you know, someone's really got to stick it up them to 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 stop that to stop that momentum. Yeah, well, the, the the one piece of news with Ireland is that um, possibly as expected, Ty Burns out injured, having taken that blow last week, um, the week before last um, in the France game. But looking at their bench and who they've got available, someone like Ian Henderson's not a bad player. Two times Lions tourists to come in, isn't he? They they just seem to be all grooved in. No furlong already this tournament. No Jamison Gibson part, but it hasn't seemed to matter. So they just yeah, they, they've got on. so much depth, haven't they? I mean, Ty Byrne will be a blow because he. I mean, he's turned into a superb player, hasn't he? Yeah. Wales Wales nearly got him, you know, because he was at the, <laughs> the Scarlets and wasn't in the um, wasn't in Ireland contention, was he? He was close to qualifying yeah. for Wales. I mean, that would have been a I remember coup. watching him that it was Scarlet's Bath the year after Scarlet's won the title and made a big play in the Champions Cup and yeah. he kept, went through and sidestepped Anthony Watson. It was unbelievable. He's yeah, the he, hell of a player. He was a big, he was a big part in that Scarlet success. Wasn't he? I mean, his work over the ball in those couple of seasons was unbelievable. Yeah. Right, so let's hope we get a full set of Six Nations matches on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, if you're tuning into your tellies and you've got Italy Ireland up first on the Saturday, then let's hope Wales England 4:45 Saturday, and then on the Sunday the France Scotland game, which as we said could be the game of the weekend. But for us, I think what we should do next is name our God or Goddess of the week. So that'll be what we do next on the run. Okay, guys, God or Goddess of the week time. Jonesy, you said you didn't watch the greatest Bath Irish game ever, but is your nomination coming from that, that match or elsewhere? No, he's not actually. The, the god of the week is um, a slightly. Hope, hope you uh, let me have a personal, uh, personal choice. Uh, would okay. you let me have a personal choice? Yeah, why not? I'm going. I'm going for a man I met last week in Aberavon, who is the most abundant, uh, uh, one of the greatest hookers I've seen. No question, uh, could do everything. Could uh, almost be good enough to play in the centre. A loyal citizen of Tybach and a great talker. Great about uh, talk about front rowers being dull. He's not dull at all. Uh, my God of the week is Richard Hibbard for how good he is, how bright he is, and possibly now he's a restaurateur, how rich he might be becoming. <laughs> okay, nice nomination. After interviewing 48 boring rugby players in the past year, he was worth going down to Aberavon to interview. Did you give? Did he give you any of his uh, alcohol? He makes gin and rum now, doesn't he? Uh, yes, yeah, one, one each of those. Oh, perfect! I haven't tried. <laughs> Definitely it, worth the trip. Then I will be trying. He, he does, yeah. I, I, I will be. I, I will be making one. Also, do you know what? We, we all take the piss out of front row forwards. Oh, look at him! The dull. Look at him. Size of him. Useless. All the front row forwards I know who played a lot of rugby. They're all billionaires now. <laughs> they are billionaires. There's loads of them. They're all up, up, up front. Is is they're they're not as dull as we think, you know. <laughs> Jamo, where are you going for your nomination this week? Okay, so I, I did see some very good rugby in the Gallagher Premiership at the weekend. And like Jonesy, I thought the Gloucester um, Quinns game yeah. was brilliant. Um, yeah, actually enjoyed Northampton Sale Saturday and then um, Leicester Saracens Sunday. But yeah. I'm going to go for a Welshman as well. Um, Jack Dixon, the Dragon Centre. So last week he gave um, quite an emotional and, and, and passionate interview um, talking about this this crisis in Wales, saying, you know, he doesn't know whether he's going to have a job ne- next season or not. You know, he's got a partner at home who's who's pregnant. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm one injury away from, from not, not having a, a livelihood. Then 
sadly tempting fate on Saturday playing for the Dragons against Leinster. He was he was taken off at at half time with what looked like quite a, a nasty looking injury. So just hoping that that injury is is not too serious and uh, this crisis in Wales can be sorted out and Jack Dixon has a has a contract next season. Fine nomination, Jamo and. I'm going to do an honourable mention before I do my main one. Um, my honourable mention is to George Ford, who we mentioned earlier, who went up and saw in his cafe in Upper Mill. And I had some, a few people debating the fact that I've said it was near the Peak District. And I checked it about 78 times on the map, and it definitely is next to the Peak District. So <laughs> <laughs> I know Oldham isn't, but he, we were not really in Oldham. But anyway, so there was that. And he's back in England squad and, and spoke really well and even gave us a flat white for free. So what a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Although we didn't have lunch at his um, wife's Italian restaurant, which was a massive blow. But there we there we go. But yeah, my my serious nomination, I think, is sort of the theme of the the week and the last week or so. I think to all the Welsh players who are considering a strike action, good on you. Using the England game as leverage, fair play to stand up for what you think is right is a difficult thing to do, and the way you've done it, no one's spoken out of turn no one's said the wrong thing no one's been unreasonable I don't think and if it ends up with the game having to be cancelled then that might have to be the final thing that makes things properly change in Welsh rugby and the fact that these players are taking it upon themselves to do that I think is pretty admirable so all power to them and let's hope it gets solved but if it doesn't it won't be for the fault of the players so I think I'm going to give gods to about 400 players in Wales so there you go but for now that has been the ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times where you're all heading we're all we're all probably in Cardiff aren't we this weekend if yeah. it happens J-Mo you're, yeah. you're usually our Welsh man aren't you yeah I'm there I'll see you there perfect and Jonesy you'll be there you'll be doing the match report if, as and when I'll be there I'll be there from an early early stage of the week to commence research and yeah. at the, at the, at the table. and look it, what wouldn't it be great if Everything's sorted in Welsh rugby and it is an absolutely cracking game. Let's let's really hope for the very best. Absolutely. Well, for now, let's hope that it all does happen. But as we said earlier in the pod, keep refreshing the Times app, keep refreshing our Twitter feeds and all sorts because there'll be plenty more on this for the week or so. But we'll leave you with that. That has been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. Please like, subscribe, review, and also please give great thanks to Alfie Reynolds, the producer who's edited and put this all together. But for now, goodbye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.